Hi, I'm Derek Hoyam, and my career has spanned 30 years in big tech and also in the music and media business. And I'm here to talk to you about NFTs. This is part three in my series, My NFT Journey, where I take you along with me to discover how NFTs work, the technology behind them, kind of the business behind them. And uh, so this is actually going to be kind of a broad reaching, uh, kind of freestyle <laughs> Uh, as I've gotten some questions from my first two episodes uh, about my NFT journey. Um, so if you haven't seen those other two episodes, watch episodes one and two. This is part three. And so I'm going to be covering some history uh, about kind of waves of innovation in technology. And uh, because some of you has, have asked me a few dif different questions, which is, isn't this just a fad? Isn't this NFT thing not going to stick around very long? And isn't this just a big ripoff and um, uh, it's just lot, lots of scams going on and um, it's not going to, it's not going to mount anything. And so I, I want to kind of break this down um, because I think sometimes our terminology can get overloaded. Uh, so I like to kind of give the example as, of like, if I'm talking about Darwinian evolution, Really, the word evolution um, from Charles Darwin really meant three things. It meant um, random mutation. So every time a DNA uh, strand is copied, there can be errors and those create mutations. And then the second thing that can happen is that there is a natural selection process. So that random mutation could uh, lead to, say, a longer beak uh, on a bird. And then that longer beak could allow that bird to better catch food or dig for food or whatever. And so then that the birds with longer beaks would then uh, survive and make up the larger portion of the population. So that's natural selection working on random mutations. Then the third concept of, of evolution is a common ancestor, right? So Darwin proposed the idea that somewhere along the line, we all emerged from some uh, pool of goo somewhere and um, and then through that random mutations and long periods of time and natural selection, that's how we ended up here. So in the case of NFTs, I kind of want to break down a few different things that, that make up uh, what the NFT movement really is all about. Um, so the first thing is uh, there's kind of, I guess, yeah, three components to it. So the first one is people right now are applying NFTs mostly to visual art that is made to look like trading cards. Um, and then people are using these kind of trading cards to be on their Twitter profile or whatever. And, and the funny thing is, is that this makes the NFT movement kind of seem not serious. And I call it the beanie baby face <laughs> because really all uh, technology movements have kind of three phases to them. So they have kind of the hype phase, which is kind of what we're in right now with NFTs. Then they have the crash phase, and then they have the wealth phase. And so right now with NFTs, all that everybody's seeing is these kind of, uh, uh, you know, like caricatures, uh, cartoony type of things. And uh, people are trading them again, like baseball cards or something and reselling them. Um, and so there's just kind of this hype around uh, that kind of movement right now. And so, yeah, and so it, just like the, say the, the trading card, baseball trading cards or something like that in sports, will there be some of these um, brands that emerge 
and and have value because they're kind of like got enough, uh, I guess, networking effects that behavioral economists call that. Uh, the the networking effect of like people really believing in it and assigning value to it. Um, and the answer is yes, that these things will, some of these NFTs and these visual NFT, NFTs, uh, they will stick around. Um, and so this is what we're see, seeing um, out there. And, but the, the really, the other components of, of an NFT are far more important. So the, the other piece of this is besides the content that's in an NFT is the technology infrastructure behind it. So all of these early experiments that have to do with these funny little trading card uh, type things is, um, is the buying and selling of it is forcing people to build the infrastructure that's needed to be able to uh, wrap e-commerce around it using the blockchain. And this is super, super important because all of e-commerce today that we have, say, when you buy things on Amazon, et cetera, they're using the traditional financial uh, financial system through like Visa cards or debit cards uh, for online transactions. Uh, and that's all fine and good. But the, the whole movement um, with NFTs and then also with cryptocurrency is is being able to conduct financial transactions without a middleman. They're stri strictly decentralized peer-to-peer -peer transactions with no central authority. And this is a very, very powerful concept. And that's why there's so much excitement around, uh, around cryptocurrencies in general. Um, and so that set of technologies and, and all the associated code and infrastructure, so validating transactions, uh, verifying that, say, uh, a certain person bought an NFT on a certain date that can be looked up and and verified by the public, and um, and so forth. That's all going to be very important steps as people do these early kind of science experiments um, on on using NFT. On, on using NFTs and, and the tech surrounding technology. Um, then the, the third kind of thing that we're talking about uh, with regard to NFTs or the third kind of concept uh, besides content infrastructure is making things rare in the digital world. And this really is the most revolutionary part of what NFTs are. So the NFT starts for non-fungible token. And for those of you who don't know what that is and want the full definition, want to get walked through it a little bit more better, you can go back and watch episode one of my NFT journey and explains all this stuff. <laughs> so this is just a little bit more context and wrapping around like, why should we care? Why, why is this such an important part of uh, where things are headed for the web? And a lot of people are starting to call this web 3.0. And there's, and there's kind of a confluence of different technologies that are coming together at the same time that are constant that are constituting this web 3.0 kind of movement and some people may also call this the, the development of the metaverse and these three technologies right now are cryptocurrencies nft uh, nfts and then also uh, augmented reality and virtual reality and the reason why these things are interesting in going together is because as virtual reality becomes uh, 
more easy to use. And uh, Facebook, now called Meta, has created their Oculus uh, goggles, VR goggles, that are very affordable. You can buy them for about 300 bucks. And it's a very, very compelling experience, even today. Now, the headset is, I wouldn't say it's heavy, but it's definitely a little bit more cumbersome that we'll, than we'll have, say, in five years from now, where uh, VR goggles might look like, um, say, like your Oakley gas cans that you can buy from Oakley sunglasses. And, uh, and so they'll be able to project essentially 4K, 8K uh, resolution um, into your eyes, and you'll be able to have a lot more peripheral vision so you feel like you're completely immersed um, in a new world, in a virtual world. And what's cool is as we enter this metaverse, uh, we, and as we spend more time in it, there's gonna be a desire for personalization where, hey, I, as I'm in the metaverse and people can see who I am, I may have an avatar that represents who I am, just like I do, say, like if I'm using the Xbox or, uh, or even Apple with their, um, with their uh, emojis, memojis, I guess they call them. And so I can kind of configure that, that memoji or that avatar to look like me, or maybe it doesn't look like me. I wanted to have look like, look like something completely different. And, but I want to be able to personalize it, have uh, different looks, clothing, whatever, and have that be unique to who I am in the metaverse. And in order to provide this level of customization and identity and be able to have people express identity in the metaverse, we're going to need to be able to have the ability to purchase digital goods that are unique to things that, uh, say, I collect. So today, like, look, if you uh, like jewelry and you go to a different city and um, you go to, say, like a farmer's market, you can buy, you know, like handmade jewelry and things like that. And that stuff is made by that artist in a limited quantity. Well, in the digital world and in the metaverse, we're going to need to have that same concept where artists uh, can share their works and say, hey, you know what? I've only made 10 of these and you're going to be one of 10 people in the world who owns that particular, uh, that particular item. And where it gets really interesting is when we're buying, say, pieces of digital art or movies or even music tracks and those may be one-offs that the artists create and they can't see them anywhere else unless the purchaser uh, makes them available to the public. And the way they're gonna be able to do that in the future in, in the metaverse is through digital art galleries um, or NFT galleries. And so there's a company right now that I'm following that I think is pretty interesting. It's called spatial.io. You can go check them out. I'm hoping to maybe have some some company representative uh, from the, from that company come on the podcast and love to love to talk to them and and so this this concept of digital galleries is going to be very very powerful because it could range from uh, just your traditional kind of art show it could be an event um, combined with a display of art that you you know uh, have to pay to get into um, and then not only uh, can you do this but like everybody's gonna be able to do this uh, if you have any kind of like curation of different types of NFTs that you wanna display or any kind of audience that you can 
that you can uh, kind of garner, you'll be able to put on these types of events and anybody will be able to do it. So it's kind of like YouTube for galleries in a way. <laughs> That's the best way to kind of think about it. And uh, so this is going to be very exciting. It's going to be really, really compelling, enable compelling experiences. And uh, what's interesting about what, say, the Board Ape people are doing uh, with their NFT brand is there, if you buy a Board Ape um, graphic, right, uh, they're starting to turn that into like a digital ticket or kind of like membership card where it allows you to go to certain gatherings or certain events. And yeah, this is just going to be a, a very powerful concept uh, moving forward. So that's why NFTs are not a fad. They're definitely not a fad. And I kind of want to take you back a little bit in a history lesson of technology. I want to rewind you back to the 80s where there's been over the last like 40 years or so, there's been these different, um, I call them rogue waves. A rogue wave is where you have uh, one small wave pile up on another wave, pile up on another wave, and they create one big wave. And this has happened many times over the last 40 years. And, um, and so with, with the, in the 80s, it was about the PC revolution. And what the, what the PC did is it put the computing power in the hands of the individual. And this had many different side effects and led to many different kind of innovations. So we got the spreadsheet. Uh, now, word, word processors had existed prior to this. Uh, but uh, more powerful processor, word processors, WordPerfect emerged in the 80s and was revolutionizing the, the practice of law and how documents were put together. And, um, and then, of course, we had uh, Dan Bricklin was the inventor of the spreadsheet, and, which then eventually led to, well, so it was VisiCalc and then eventually became Lotus123. And then Microsoft Excel popped up in that competition as well. Um, and then all kinds of, there was an explosion of desktop software, right, for, for PCs. And then the Mac came out of that as well. Um, and so that was the, kind of the first wave was this idea of personal computing software that you could individually choose and load into your computer and individual software developers publishing uh, titles and, and coming up with their own innovations and selling them to the public. And um, then the next wave was essentially the birth of the web. Now, the internet had already existed because it was uh, created as a research network from the, uh, the, the U.S. government uh, DARPA project. And so email and different forms of communication uh, via the internet that tied uh, research centers and military installations and educational institutions like universities this had already existed since like the late 60s or so. Um, but what was new in the early 90s was this idea of having a web server that could serve up a page as we know it today uh, that could combine graphics, text, and hyperlinks. And that was new. And, and then you could surf from one server to another uh, seamlessly, and so you could ha hit a web page in, say, Norway, and then hit uh, uh, a page in France, and then hit a page in Mexico, and within milliseconds, you were jumping all over the globe uh, with these web pages. And so that that's the kind of the first step or the first basis of the web. And then out of that, of course, we got the Netscape browser. 
we got uh, Java, the Java programming language and JavaScript. Um, and there were different pieces that kind of started coming online. And then actually it was with Windows 95 when Microsoft shipped Windows 95 in, in 1995. Um, it, Microsoft was shipping a lot of the core technologies uh, as part of the Windows operating system. So it allowed all these PCs to now to be able to get on the web very easily uh, for everybody to have a web browser, um, et cetera. And then what followed that was now e-commerce. And so the ability to put products on a page, add them to a cart and uh, check out. And, and of course, Amazon was born out of that um, set of technologies. And then of course, on a parallel track, um, we had the rise of the search box from Google. And what was interesting is that Google, as you guys know, and even today, it's just a simple text box that you can type into. Um, but what was, what was interesting was not the search box. It was what came after you hit search. It was the search results that mattered. And that became a multi-billion dollar business, <laughs> a very big business that essentially created Google as we know it. So, uh, so, the, so the, we had the web in the mid, early to mid 90s, and then we had e-commerce and uh, search technology in the late 90s. And, um, and then we also had services, so like web services. So you could take your website and then pair it with delivery. And of course, Amazon was doing this with books. Um, my famous example is a company called Cosmo.com, K-O-Z-M-O.com. And what was interesting about them is they were the first uh, kind of site that would allow you to, say, order like movie snacks or if you were having a movie night at home. And then like within an hour or two, they would just show up at your doorstep via courier. Um, and so it was this real-time ability or we called it web time right where you could uh order stuff and then it just arrives at your door moments later and ironically uh this is what amazon is now shooting for with their amazon prime they would like to have same day shipping for uh pretty much all the items within the amazon prime uh program and so they're working on that right today <laughs> so a lot of these ideas start out as early experiments and then they turn into full-fledged infrastructure that we depend on every day. Um, and so I could go on and name so many other examples. I mean, the, the next kind of set of rogue waves that happened after that was, of course, the, the development of the cell, well, the, the maturation of the cell phone uh, along with touchscreens and then Wi-Fi and cellular networks. And, and then that gave us essentially what we have today in the modern um, in the modern smartphone, iPhones, Android phones, etc., um, and then of, of course social media was that happening on a parallel track as well, and so social media combined with the phones now provide the experience that we have today and kind of uh, modern with modern technology. Anyway, so the reason why I kind of give you this kind of walk through history is because these technologies of crypto, NFTs, and now the metaverse and virtual reality are going to matter. And they pair very well together. And they're going to completely revolutionize, uh, again, how we experience technology going forward. So when people say that our NFT is a ripoff, uh, my answer is a, a most definitive no. <laughs> because they're really a puzzle piece that is necessary for how we're going to revolutionize 
uh, how we experience and interact with each other um, in the digital world going forward. And uh, so another thing too that I get asked to is like, hey, is is crypto a good investment? Like, um, and and aren't NFTs like if I buy say a, a um, one of these little graphics you know, that so many people or thousands of people are offering online, is that a good investment? And, you know, it, it's interesting, right? Because on one hand, yeah, I'm definitely going to say no. <laughs> it's not, this is what I call the, you know, like I said, the hype phase. And so I think Gary Vaynerchuk has talked about this where, you know, there there's going to be just this big crash, right, that that follows and and this idea of, of creating rarity around digital goods isn't really happening when you have thousands of teenagers and 20-somethings creating this similar graphics <laughs> trying to make their brand more important than other people's brands. So yeah, 99% of that is just going to go away in, in a crash phase. Um, so are NFTs a good investment? Probably not. Uh, however, there will be, as I said before, there will be some remnant of, of them that do survive as, as brands. And, and so we're seeing that with the board, the board ape series, um, and a couple of others. So, and then is crypto a good investment? Again, I would say not by itself. And this gets into some interesting monetary theory. Uh, Warren Buffett has talked about this. Um, I talked about this a couple months ago and got roasted <laughs> in, in, in a chat room on Twitter. And, um, and, but Elon Musk is, is saying the same thing. And, and so the three of us basically agree that money by itself really has no value. What assigns m value to money is humans being able to deliver goods and services that serve their fellow man over time. That's what delivers value and gives money its meaning and value. And, and so crypto is just an expression. It's just a vehicle. And uh, so again, there's a couple things that get piled on top of each other in that whole discussion because crypto is also an enabling technology that is gonna enable these very compelling scenarios for how we uh, live and work and, uh, and buy and sell. And, and so that part is important. And so things like Bitcoin, the reason why we see Bitcoin rising in value is because now so many people are going to be participating in, in crypto, the, kind of the cryptocurrency economy and ecosystem that it does now start to rise in value, especially with Bitcoin because it, it limits um, uh, circulation of Bitcoins, right? So it, it's kind of designed to be anti-inflationary. And... Uh, I'll, I'll let you guys look up more uh, experts and on monetary policy and that kind of thing. Actually, it was really interesting. There was a there was a a YouTube episode that Tom Billu did recently with uh, a monetary expert, and I can't remember his name right off the top of my head. So I'm going to put the link um, in the description of this video, and I want to link to that because it's really really compelling, and I think uh, I think that person really lays out a really uh, great case for how crypto plays with with traditional fiat currency uh, which is what we use today and how they how they interface with each other so anyway I just wanted to kind of take time out as part of this nft series to kind of take a broad look at like 
why am I doing this? And why should you care about NFTs? And like, uh, is this really going to be revolutionary? And with, without a doubt, I can wholeheartedly say yes. But we're definitely in a hype and experimental phase right now. It's going to take time for the, in, the, for the meaningful infrastructure to be built. And there has to be also safety and security around transactions. And when you secure an, a digital good, right, you have to be confident that you're going to be able to hold on to it over time. And so some of the NFT providers have been known to kind of take their works down. That's called rug pulling, <laughs> where something just disappears after you purchased it. And that can't be happening, right? Like there has to be trusted entities who are going to guarantee that those items are there for long periods of time. And then there will all obviously also be uh, trusted NFT providers and creators uh, who provide that, uh, provide that trust uh, over time as well. So, all right. So that's kind of what this, I wanted this episode to be about was just taking a broad look at the technology overall and talking about how it all fits into the metaverse. And hopefully this has been a little bit uh, more helpful. And actually what I'm gonna do with this series is I'm gonna have some other experts on from different companies, and we're gonna be talking about the various aspects of this. And of course, there's been some other content on YouTube and in podcasts and things. So I'll just be yet another voice out there, but I, I, I have some really great people lined up. So stay tuned and uh, we'll see you in the metaverse. 